Welcome to House Calls with Dr. Connie Mariano. If you're ready to get your physical, emotional, and spiritual life in order, join us for the next hour as we meet some interesting people who will share stories of success and wisdom that you can apply to your own life. Now, here's Dr. Connie. Hello, everybody. Thank you for listening in today. I'm Dr. Connie Mariano, and I'm your doctor. I do house calls. I'm so grateful to be in studio today, and I've got a wonderful guest. But first, I want to do a few little shout-outs here to say hello. I've got Chef Christine and Gilbert, who is listening in. She's got two beautiful twin daughters. Hello, Chef Chris. I've got dear friends Paul Wells and his wife, Diana. Paul is a retired Navy commander in San Diego. Hello to you all. Fellow pilot and aviation aficionados, Dimitri and Suzanne in Paradise Valley. I hope you guys are flying well. Also a very special shout out and also prayers for a really close friend of mine, Mac, who's going undergoing a procedure, special procedure on Friday. I'm hoping and praying all goes well with him. I'm in studio today and I also wanted to thank my co-host who I'm bringing on to give me a hand, uh, my son, Andrew Stevens. Say hello, Andrew. Hey everyone, hey Dr. Connie. It's, uh, it's good to have the son of the White House doctor here and to fill in in case I, I need any additional help and also for a younger perspective. On our first show last week, I focused about, about the, my theme about being positive in a negative world. Well, since that last show, we've all witnessed a very difficult and challenging time. It was a really rough week the last few days, and it proved over and over again that life is very tough. It, it could be in the form of a force of nature, such as Hurricane Harvey, Hurricane Irma, or it could be human forces, such as what we saw on 9-11 when terrorists took the lives of 2,996 innocent Americans. September 11th, 2001. Do you remember where you were 16 years ago on that date? Where were you? What were you doing when you heard the tragic news? When I look back, I was here in Arizona. <clears throat> I had just left the White House a few months prior to that and had retired from the Navy and left my nine-year tour at the White House. I was working at the Mayo Clinic Scottsdale, and I was driving in to work at the clinic to see patients that day. And on my way into clinic, I remember distinctly had pulled into the local Safeway to go to Starbucks to get my morning Frappuccino. And as I went back into my car, I turned on the radio, and I heard what sounded like a replay of War of the Worlds, War of the Worlds. And I thought, what is this? And I listened, and I said, this can't be real. This cannot be real. So by the time I got to my office, I called my old office at the White House on the ground floor. And I was surprised that my assista, assistant, executive assistant, Phyllis Green, was still in that office located on the ground floor of the White House. And I said, Phil, where's the president? Where's President Bush? And she said, he is in Florida with Dr. Tubb, who had taken my place as, as the senior White House doctor. And I said, but what are you doing in the office on the ground floor of the White House? She says, I, I can't get out of the building. Everybody has gone down into the bomb shelter and, and, and is sequestered. I said, you need to get out of the building right away. And she did. That day, I felt numb. I saw patients who had pre-scheduled to come in for their physicals, and we, all we could do was talk about what was going on in the news. I tried to reach out to different friends in D.C., didn't hear back. When I got home that evening, uh, my kids, my two sons, Andrew and Jason, were home with their dad, Richard. 
and we turned them on, t on the television set and we were shocked. We were shocked to watch live coverage of people jumping from the Twin Towers to their actual death, realizing these were not stuntmen. It was the real thing. They were dying. So our country would never be the same again. Our lives would never be the same again. And our world would never be the same again. So how do you deal with difficult times? How do you recover from tragedy? How do you become resilient? How do you become strong, healthy, successful after something bad happens? Are you born with it? Do you develop it? Or as my husband John says, and I want to tell you he was not a Marine, he would say, are you born with a set of balls or do you grow them over time? Well, my late mother told me I was born resilient. I, I didn't have testicles or balls when I was born, but I think I grew them over time. Military will do that. She tells me a story that when I was two years old, my family had moved from Sangley Point, Philippines, and we're moving to Pearl Harbor, Hawaii, where my dad was stationed. And in those days, it was the old propeller plane. We were flying from the Philippines to an island in Kwajalein in the Pacific, and we were refueling. And I was two years old. My infant brother was only a few months old. My mother was holding him and holding my hand. And as we were running across the tarmac, I fell <clears throat> and I went slam, flat on my face, on the tarmac. My mother turned to look at me. I got up and kept running after her, holding her hand. And what shocked her was I didn't cry. I just kept moving. And growing up, a lot of times in the United States in the 60s, 70s, 80s, as being the only Asian-looking kid on the block, you're always standing out in a certain way. You look different. Your name's different. You're never fitting in. So I think you become tougher as a result of it. Being in the military, you have to be tough, right? You're moved so many times, got to prove yourself over and over again. And one of the things about being in the military, you focus on the mission. You don't sit and complain. You do the job. You don't become what we call origami. You don't fold under pressure. And then when I got to the White House, again, you're always trying to prove yourself. You're tough. You're one of the guys. Or actually, you're better than one of the guys. In nine years, three presidents, you realize you're in the kill zone. If somebody wants to kill the president, you're in that kill zone. You pray that nobody hurts him and nobody hurts you and the people around you. So this past week, thinking about those things and of my life and hurricanes and 9-11, I couldn't help but think, how do people not only recover from that, but how do they go on to succeed and go beyond that, to be bigger and better than what they were before that tragedy happened? So I thought of one person, and that's our special guest today. She has an incredible story. She remembers clearly where she was on 9-11, and it changed the trajectory of her life. So I'm honored to have in studio today retired Navy Commander Suzanne Giesman. During her 20-year naval career, Suzanne served as a commanding officer, she was special assistant to the chief of naval operations, and she was aide to the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. That's pretty amazing stuff. But there's more to her and her story, which we will reveal during today's show. I want to welcome Suzanne. Suzanne, thank you for being here today. I want to thank her husband, Ty, who's listening in uh, from Seattle, where he is right now. Um, Thank you for being here, Suzanne. Oh, Connie, it's so great to be with you and to be here in studio with you. Thank you. You know, as we're sharing this show, I could think of nobody else but you who was there on 9-11 in your amazing story that you write about. She's written, she's actually working on her 12th book. There's a movie about her called Messages of Hope, which we're going to share a little bit more later. It's on our website as well. But 
Looking back 16 years ago on 9-11, can you share with everybody where you were on that day? Yes, I was the aide to the chairman of the Joint Chiefs on that day. That's the senior most officer in the United States military. And we were on a scheduled trip to go to Europe. We were first going to Budapest, but later in that week we were going to go to England where the general was going to be knighted by Queen Elizabeth. So that was an exciting trip. I was going to be right there in the room to see that and to be part of that, and so it was quite exciting. But I have to tell you, not too many people know that I was quite rattled on that flight because <laughs> as an aide, you want to be have everything perfect, have all your ducks in a row, and I screwed up royally that morning. I set my alarm. I'm all ready to get to the airport at Andrews Air Force Base an hour ahead of the chairman. My husband's driving me to the airport because I'm going to be gone for a week, and halfway there, I let out a curse word and said, I am an hour late. Oh, no. Oh, yes. (laughs) And the chairman was due to show up any minute now, and I have to be there to greet him and get him on the plane. I'm supposed to have been there an hour earlier. I made it just before him, and it was transparent to him. But I started off that day totally shaken because if I'd been five minutes later, I would have been fired from one of the most honorable positions I could have (laughs) ever asked for in the military. That's amazing. I mean, so it was already a stressful day to begin, Ben. Now, when you were en route to England, what happened? How did you hear about what happened at the Twin Towers? We were about two hours out over the Atlantic, and we were on an aircraft with all kinds of communications, as you can imagine. And we started to get reports that this small aircraft had crashed into the World Trade Center towers. So we got the same news that most people across the country did hearing it on the news. We thought it was a small plane. And then when it became clear that it was an airliner, the chairman's executive assistant and I walked back into his cabin and told him what had happened. And we were stunned, but the general's reaction stunned me. He was quite calm, and he nodded his head and said something like this was eventually bound to happen because he'd been getting intelligence reports for years about al-Qaeda. I was not privy to those, so I was in a bit of shock. But... uh, As we were standing there talking to him, somebody came into the cabin and said, a second plane has hit the towers. And he looked at me, the general looked at me and said, take us back to Washington. So I went up to the cockpit. This was an aircraft, Air Force crew. And I looked at the pilot and I said, we're going back to Washington. And he looked up at me and he said, Commander, our flight path is going to take us right over Manhattan. And... What was the most sobering for me, Connie, was to watch the flight crew open up the safe and take out these things called authentication codes, something that in the military you practice drills to to get these secret codes, to say them over the radio so that we wouldn't be shot down. Mm -hmm. But this was not a drill because by the time we got the word and were turning around, every other aircraft in U.S. airspace had been grounded but ours. So here's our aircraft with the crew sending out these codes so that the fighter planes wouldn't shoot us down. Right, right. And in fact, we did go right over Manhattan. And uh, just a few minutes ago, I shared with you the photo that I have of the smoke coming up from the World Trade Center towers. But the thing is, at that point, we hadn't gotten the news that they had collapsed. We just thought they were on fire. And we landed at Andrews Air Force Base about an hour later, and there was this motorcade of police escort for us. Because this is the head of the military. we got to get him back to the Pentagon. So 
off we go in the uh, in this cavalcade with a police escort driving through the streets of Washington that were deserted. And just hours later, it was perfectly normal. And it was surreal because the sky was blue. It was a gorgeous day. And as we crossed the, the highway, the bridge across the Potomac, moving towards the Pentagon, you could see smoke billowing out of the roof of our office building that we had just left hours earlier. And we just, we barreled into the building. The chairman went right to his office and was met by his terrorism expert. They holed up in his office for him to get a briefing, and that's when uh, the chairman's secretary looked at me and she said, the tower's collapsed. And so we had to be very professional and not show emotion, yet at the same time trying to process everything that was happening. Very soon thereafter, the chairman emerged from the office. He says, we're going to see the impact site. And his bodyguard was leading us through these dark, smoky hallways. The Pentagon was deserted. It had been evacuated by now because it had now been a couple hours since the attack. And I'm holding on to the belt of the person in front of me, thinking, where are we going? We're going inside the Pentagon? We're going to go come through the backside of where the plane hit. And this was the moment when I realized what you were talking about. You're taught in the military to be tough. And there was no way I could show weakness to my boss. And all I wanted to do was turn the other way. I didn't want to be seen carnage. But, you know, the, you know the, the expression very well, you have to just suck it up. Yeah. You know? You and so there's no crying, there's no showing any emotion. And luckily, somebody came to their senses and said, why don't we go outside? So we found a doorway to the outside and went around stepping over jet engine pieces in the grass. And the grass was all sodden from the fire engines hosing down that impact site and staring up at that gaping hole, knowing that just hours later, people just like us were there and could not have survived that. And, and I think this is the misperception that civilians get, that somehow military people are different. They're your brothers and sisters, your fathers and mothers, they're, they're your neighbors who have been trained in a certain way, but we all hurt the same, we love the same, we cry the same, we grieve the same. And But when you're on duty, like you said, the mission comes first and you deal with the mission. I think what drives us, and you bring it out beautifully, is the protocol. You know, your chain of command, you've got a duty to do, you can't let people down. Everybody's tough. I remember flying with the president to, to countries that were considered hazardous duty. And I would look around me on the C-17 flying into Bosnia and realize, if this plane goes down, they're only going to mention the president and others die. I'm one of the others yes. who will die. Yeah. And when I was at the White House, I had a, a list of what I wanted to do at my funeral. You just hmm. prepare. Yes. You know, this is your plan. But you, all, you, know, you describe it so vividly of almost being in an automated type of thing, like, almost like a robotic, because you have to do, and it doesn't strike you till later, oh my God, that happened. You know, you're so numb, you just go through it. You do, but at the same time, your mind is, is rapidly processing everything that might come up. You're always thinking ahead, and what do I have to do? What is needed in this moment? The one thing that struck me that day, if I could share it, and I asked my husband, Ty, if it was okay to share this. I, I would never say anything to, to embarrass or hurt him, but this showed me so clearly the, the difference between men and women on that day. He was not able to come pick me up at the very end of the day when we figured we, we have to go home and get some rest. He had not been expecting to see me for a week. 
I had to get a policeman to drive me to a point where I rendezvoused with Ty. It was our first time chance to talk that evening after this whole day of seeing the, the scenes on the TV, of being with the chairman as he was uh, meeting with Secretary of Defense, after watching the chairman brief the country on the live television. So the policeman dropped me off, and there was Ty, and all I needed at that moment was a hug. I just needed release of these emotions, and he had been watching the news all day, and he was so filled with anger, rightfully so. Mm-hmm. And I remember that hug like it was yesterday. He was so stiff. Mm-hmm. He was just angry, and I needed, I needed re- this, comfort. That, that comfort, comfort. And, and it, that, that pointed out to me the, the, the male-female difference, but at the same time, I completely understood yeah. where he was because we were trained the same way. Yeah, and he is, a, at that time, active-duty Navy captain. He was retired oh, at he that had, time. He had already retired mm-hmm. from the mm-hmm. Navy, but we do react in different ways. I mean, what prepared Could anything have prepared you for 9-11 and the things that you saw? Oh, definitely the military training. It, that that you 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 have this strength within you. You have so much more strength than you know you have. But that's a very human kind of strength, and I've come to know a very different kind of strength, which we'll talk about later. But at the time, it it always comes back to what what is needed for the mission, and that that you can't you can't behave emotionally. You have to be there and do your duty. You know, your life has changed forever. Do you, did you dream about over and over again what happened? I mean, and the days that followed, obviously you're busy with your work, what went on, and you made some major decisions as a result of, of that day that changed your career. Oh, yes. The following days were very stressful because only essential personnel were allowed to return to the Pentagon. And as the aide to the chairman, I was one of those essential people. And... Not many people know that the building burned for three days. They were unable to put the fire out. And going into this burning building and watching them sort through the rubble to find body parts uh, was very sobering. And then when they put up the picture boards of the people who lost their lives that day uh, was also very sobering because, again, these are people just like you and I. Well, we're going to take a little break here because in the next segment of our show, I'm going to ask Susanna to share with us how her life changed as a result of 9-11. And what I think she's going to share with you is some incredible things that have happened in her life that have guided to her, her where she is now helping so many people. So please stand by on Dr. Connie's House Calls with our special guest, Suzanne Giesman. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Who's your doctor? When I was looking for a doctor, I thought, which person gets the best care of all and whose doctor's credentials are the most carefully reviewed? Well, the answer was obvious. Who looks after the president of the United States? My doctor is the doctor who is taking care of three presidents and their families, Dr. Connie Mariano. I've heard about her. She's board certified in internal medicine and has been practicing medicine for over 30 years. She was at the White House for over nine years and traveled everywhere with the president. Dr. Connie is available to me 24 hours a day, seven days a week by email, cell phone, or Skype. 
And when I see her in her private office in Scottsdale, she and her staff always treat me like I'm the president. I'm going to call her office now and join her practice. Dr. Connie Mariano, this is the doctor American presidents and their families have trusted with their lives, and I trust you with mine. For information about Dr. Connie Mariano's private practice, you need to visit drcmariano.com. Are you ready to live younger, longer? Andrew and Aaron Stevens with Apply Everyday Health are partnered with a 100-year-old company to help you build health through natural approaches. Our scientists believe that the key to a healthy lifestyle lies within nature. By using ingredients proven to be safe and effective, our products provide nutrition guaranteed to change your life in a positive way. To find out how you can get the same top-of-the-line vitamins taken daily by Olympic athletes, astronauts, and the White House doctor herself, visit applyeveryday.com. Our nation's educational system is undergoing constant change as technology and society are redefining the system as we have known it. On Chalk Talk with Eric Hamilton, we provide parents with the resources they need to understand and become a part of the educational experience for their children. Through engaging guests, news, interactive discussions, and innovative ideas, it's everything that parents should know about school. Tune in every Monday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. You are tuned in to House Calls with former White House physician, Dr. Connie Mariano. If you have a question or comment for our show today, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to drconnieradio at gmail.com. That's drconnieradio at gmail.com. Now, back to House Calls with Dr. Connie. Here today with our special guest, former Navy Commander Suzanne Giesman, who served 20 years in the U.S. Navy with distinction, and, her, and part of her tour, final tour, was that as the aide to the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. And on 9-11, 16 years ago, she was with the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, General Shelton, on board a military air- aircraft en route to England, and after the, when the Twin Towers were struck, Uh, was able to fly over them and to witness that, and then over to the Pentagon. So she saw two areas of destruction that day, and we we were reliving that very moving event of what she witnessed. You know, Suzanne, from what you saw on 9-11, how did that change the trajectory of your life? Well, for years, my husband Ty and I had been talking about living our dream of selling our house and cars after we both retired from the Navy, and sailing into the sunset on our sailboat. And I hadn't yet decided when I would retire from the Navy. I could have stayed in another 10 years or more if I wanted to. But 9-11 just showed me that you need to live your dreams when you can. I heard of a commander, same rank as I was at the time, who was killed in the attack one week before his retirement. And I did not want that to be me, to, to... to have my family regret that I never got to live my dreams. I didn't want Ty to regret that. And so I said, it's time to retire. I still had two years to go 
I was 18 years in when 9-11 happened, but I put my papers in then on 9-11 because of that, just saying that I have, I have served my country, but I could see that, that uh, there were others who could fill my shoes quite well. That would not be a problem. And uh, so the very day that I had 20 years in the military, I retired, and the very next day we set sail on our sailboat. You know, and I think you write about that in your book, it, uh, about did, your yes. life and your sailing. It's a beautiful book that you had written, Living the Dream. But part of that dream, that dream got disrupted, didn't it? It sure did. And it showed me that you can run away from the challenges, you can run away from the, the news, but you can't run away from your life lessons. And so shortly after we began cruising, a couple years into that lifestyle, we got the phone call that no parent ever wants to hear, and that's that Ty's daughter, Susan, who was a sergeant in the Marine Corps, had been struck and killed by lightning while crossing the flight line at Marine Corps Air Station Cherry Point. So I had watched all of the grieving families in ceremonies at the Pentagon after 9-11, and I, could, I couldn't bear their grief. I felt it, and I just had to walk away thinking, how can they stand that? And you talk about resiliency, you have no choice. You just got it through, exactly. you go through it. How old was Susan? She was 27, and she was six okay. months pregnant. Yeah. And then she was, how did she die? Struck by lightning, oh. and uh, it did uh, kill the baby, of course, at the same time. And so suddenly, you can't turn away and walk away. You have to deal with it. And it was crushing, absolutely crushing, because no military training can teach you to deal with that. You can suck it up only so long until you, you finally just kind of break. And I can remember wailing, wailing in the privacy of my car where my husband wouldn't hear me and just just saying, how can this happen? How can this happen? And it, and it was those kind of questions that started me asking the deep questions and starting to read books about the bigger picture of life. Tell us about that. Well, I remember Susan's funeral quite well and seeing her at the viewing and suddenly knowing beyond a doubt that what I'd heard about there being a spirit with each person, not just a body, that there's a spirit within the body, that that had to be real because that was what was missing looking in that coffin. Susan was so vibrant, so alive, and suddenly this was just a vessel I was looking at. and. I've always been a, a self-taught kind of person, and so I wanted to find out for myself it was if it's true that the spirit survives death. And I began reading about the afterlife, and I began meditating, something that I never did in the military. I began daily sitting quietly and asking those questions, and asking Susan, are you here? Yeah. Did you get an answer? When I didn't that get any answers from Susan. I fell asleep every day for three weeks. <laughs> but what made you keep moving on? What what kept me moving on is that I began to feel more peaceful inside. I right. began to get answers to my questions. I can remember suddenly being so filled with love and bliss beyond even the relationship type love that I had never experienced before. That that I knew that I had tapped into something that, that you can't find in a book. And then the second part of that equation is in reading about the afterlife, 
I had long heard of these people called mediums who can connect with those who've passed to the other side. And I said, if we're going to help my husband overcome his grief, and I didn't feel that meditation was going to do it for him, then let's try one of these mediums. We'll get maybe one shot at this until Ty says this is crazy and won't go back again, so I need to find a good medium. And by grace, we found one, and she brought through stunning, irrefutable evidence to this Navy commander who was very by the book. You had to prove it to me. That woman proved it to me and my destroyer husband captain that Susan was right there in the room with us. Without a doubt. Without any doubt. doubt. No. How did that feel once you knew? It feels like if I were to tell you, uh, Connie, the sky is really green and, uh, you know, just turn your world upside down is how it felt. I remember three days not being able to function, walking around in a daze, thinking my whole world view has just turned upside down. You mean death isn't the end? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and you can just translate that to 9-11. You mean all those people that, that died, their spirits survived that? Then that changes everything, doesn't it? Yeah. You're, did you grow up spiritual or religious in your family? Not at all. Or? And that's why on 9-11 I started down the religious path and it just wasn't touching my heart. There was too much fear in, in what I was reading and and what I was feeling in meditation was beautiful and peace-filled and love-filled. And, and then that reading with the medium just showed me there is another reality and it's filled with that love and that's where Susan is and that's where other souls who have passed are. And, and so I wrote a book about mediumship to let other people know, hey, from, take it from the viewpoint of somebody who was very skeptical, very by the book. This is real. I wrote the biography of a medium. And uh, that was my goal at the point, just at that, at that point, just to show people that there is an afterlife. That there is a real thing out mm-hmm. there. It, it, it exists. There's hope with that. But then having satisfied your, your desire to know that Susan is still here, hasn't gone away, what cha- then what was the next step for you in your personal life? Now that you're a retired Navy Admiral, you had job opportunities. You're the Admiral, ma'am. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm the job. <laughs> I, I gave you a promotion. I'll take a, it. A retired Navy, <laughs> Navy commander married to a, a, a retired captain, and you had your boat, and, you know, you're at peace now with mm-hmm. your, your uh, Ty's daughter uh, there. What was next for you? Well, after I wrote that first book about a medium, another medium asked me to write her book, and I'm going to get right to the quick here so we can get to the even better stuff, Uh, I discovered that I can connect with those who have passed as well. And just taking all my Navy training about always do your best, I said, let's see how good we can get at this and how much we can help people to have that same experience that I had with a medium. And so the, the bottom line is today I am showing people the kind of evidence that changed our lives and helping people find the same kind of healing. I'm no longer, I no longer identify myself as just a retired Navy commander. My principal role, besides uh, wife to tie and dog mom to two beautiful dachshunds, is a medium. It's fascinating. Did that shock you, the, the change? It did. It, it absolutely did. I can remember calling Ty and saying, I was in this class with the woman whose book I'm writing, and I brought through evidence about one of the students' father. I brought through the fact that he died from cancer. He was 70 years old. He was an engineer, and his wife called him Twinkle Toes. How do you explain that? Do you ever wonder why you? 
no, I don't wonder, Connie, because now I have this incredible team on the other side of guides. We communicate with incredible clarity and insights, and they've made it very clear to me that it's time to raise the bar of mediumship in this country, to let people know that this is real, that our loved ones do not die. And there have been people saying that for a 100 years, and people don't get it. So now you have this this Navy commander, no-nonsense aid to the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff who's standing up here and say, if you can't believe them, then now hear this. This is real. I don't make things up. Yeah. Let me give you some evidence. And, and people are listening. And, and if there was a better plan to get people to pay attention to a medium, I can't imagine one. Well, God knows how to use your talents. I, I think back, because I, I have a very unusual type of practice now that I'm retired but from the Navy and in private practice for the last, my goodness, now 16 years since 9-11. But I've had patients who've had loved ones and children, definitely children who have passed and this inconsolable grief. And what I've done is said, we need to find a medium for you. And I have sent several of them to mediums who have gotten tremendous relief, uh, proof that there is an afterlife. And I believe it. I grew up uh, Christian, Catholic, but I've always believed in that. But part of it is how much do you really truly believe until it strikes you personally and you've had a, a loved one send you a message. And I really believe there, in having met you, there's no accidents. I mean, no. the fact that you and I connected really probably email-wise a couple of years ago because you were speaking at my church, Unity, and a mutual friend of ours, Wendy Walker, who, uh, Wendy Walker Lipschutz, who's listening in today, uh, said, you, you really need to, to connect with Suzanne Giesman, who was uh, in the Navy and was at actually at the inauguration of W. Bush at that same time, because you were escorting the Clintons out, and she was escorting the chairman of the Joint Chiefs, so you were probably, like, right beside we, each other. We had to have been standing right next Absolutely. to each other. <laughs> so, you know, we sort of passed, uh, we're in passing, but, but it just so happened that you're coming back. I had missed you by a year. I emailed you, and then we connected. We were going to meet for dinner, and I was in Vegas at a conference, and a mutual friend of ours um, Jill uh, Chamber Willig uh, was having dinner with me with her husband Michael Peterson, and, and Jill was the amazing. presided at my retirement ceremony, a colonel in the army. And here we are in Vegas, and I connected through her through the Veterans Women's Group, and and she says, "Oh, you really need to meet Suzanne Geisman. She's an amazing medium." And I go, "You won't believe this, Jill, but I'm having dinner with her tomorrow." <laughs> so there's no accidents that yeah. that that message comes across. The, the whole thing that my radio show was given to me as a gift by John about uh, two years ago, and I put it off and put it off until the time was right, and I think we needed to hear a positive voice in the world of a voice of hope and light, and I think what you do as a medium gives people that. You know, from all the readings you've done, um, it gives you so much hope. You know, I, I look at it, I find it sort of a mixed feeling because my job as a physician is to keep people alive <laughs> on this side of the curtain. I don't want them to die yet. <laughs> you, on the other hand, you, you reassure people. You, you know, I communicate the ones with this side, the living, and you communicate a lot with the ones who passed over. Right. So is it a lot nicer on the other side? I mean, do people are people fairly happy? Well, you can certainly feel the love around you, so they've told me. It's certainly a much warmer more positive environment because you can't help but see reality when you're over there. This is one reality, and that's a point that I wanted to make. I don't know mm -hmm. if I have time to make Absolutely, it now. Absolutely, please. That, that on 9-11, I only thought we're human and that's it. 
-hmm. I didn't know that we are souls having a human experience. So resiliency at that point was sucking it up. Mm -hmm. That's it. But when you're that stiff, you can break. But now I've come to know beyond a doubt from having spoken to thousands of souls who have passed that we are souls here and now and human. We're both. So we can choose to focus on our human side or we can call upon the innate qualities of the soul that every one of us has and that some of those are courage and strength and peace. When you realize that those qualities are within every one of us and are always there, we only need to shift our focus from the drama and the storms that are around us at any time and call upon those, that gives you a resiliency in which you don't break, you bend and you flow with the challenges that come at you. It's a whole different yeah. viewpoint. I had no coping tools at 9-11. I, I ran away, you know. And now, I mean, we faced Irma last week. We have my family in Florida. I have property. My home is in Florida. And I had a completely different attitude. There was no fear. There was, even if if I lost everyone and everything, I knew I could find that peace within me, knowing the bigger picture and that is a tremendous change. And my goal is so much more than mediumship. It's to help people find this dual nature of themselves. You are a soul and a human. And which aspect of you you focus on in any minute determines your peace. I think that is so powerful to people listening in because the things that we get caught up in this world that make us hyper and anxious and upset and you realize that's not that big a deal. You know, well, it is a big deal well, when you're time, a human. But then but you look beyond it. Yeah, the big picture. You look picture. beyond it. And, you know, as a physician, people, I talk to people every day and people who are dying, people who will, we, we all die. Mm -hmm. We all die. But then what you can offer him is, but, you know, if you, your belief system, there is more beyond that. You know, we can only get you to a point. About three weeks ago, I lost my oldest patient. She was 102. Wow. She was very grateful to move on. She was very tired of living. She was very upset we kept her alive so long. Mm -hmm. I couldn't help it. But she <laughs> lived to 102, and, and I felt that sense of peace. It was time for her to move on. But I think for us, the living, to know that, that it's not totally over, that there's hope, there's light at the end of the tunnel despite the suffering, yeah. and that you're not alone in this. Everybody suffers. That's one of the things and, that And we this share. is not wishful thinking. What you say, that sounds so beautiful, and people want to believe that, but I can guarantee you if we had a 24-hour window here in which to talk, I could fill it with hardcore, verifiable evidence from those who have passed that this is not wishful thinking. It's reality. Awesome. Well, you know, and I know you've got books that you're working on your 12th book. Uh, you're going to be speaking at the uh, Afterlife Conference here in Paradise Valley in Arizona with a host of experts and mediums and, and many people uh, talking about the afterlife experience and giving so much hope to us there. So we're going to pause for a little break and we'll be back to talk more about being resilient and hopeful. Stand by. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. 
Are you ready to live younger, longer? Andrew and Aaron Stevens with Apply Everyday Health are partnered with a 100-year-old company to help you build health through natural approaches. Our scientists believe that the key to a healthy lifestyle lies within nature. By using ingredients proven to be safe and effective, our products provide nutrition guaranteed to change your life in a positive way. To find out how you can get the same top-of-the-line vitamins taken daily by Olympic athletes, astronauts, and the White House doctor herself, visit applyeveryday.com. Who's your doctor? When I was looking for a doctor, I thought, which person gets the best care of all and whose doctor's credentials are the most carefully reviewed? Well, the answer was obvious. Who looks after the President of the United States? My doctor is the doctor who is taking care of three presidents and their families, Dr. Connie Mariano. I've heard about her. She's board certified in internal medicine and has been practicing medicine for over 30 years. She was at the White House for over nine years and traveled everywhere with the president. Dr. Connie is available to me 24 hours a day, seven days a week by email, cell phone, or Skype. And when I see her in her private office in Scottsdale, she and her staff always treat me like I'm the president. I'm going to call her office now and join her practice. Dr. Connie Mariano is the doctor American presidents and their families have trusted with their lives, and I trust you with mine. For information about Dr. Connie Mariano's private practice, you need to visit drcmariano.com. Are you ready to tackle the rules of business? You may think you're doing everything by the book, following your own best practice beliefs, bringing in endless consultants, only to find that your business is not moving forward. That's where you need to stop and figure out where things are going wrong. Enter Business Rules with host Peter Feinstein. Peter and his guests will break it all down for you to help you and your business succeed. Listen Wednesdays at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Empowerment. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. You are tuned in to House Calls with former White House physician, Dr. Connie Mariano. If you have a question or comment for our show today, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to drconnieradio at gmail.com. That's drconnieradio at gmail.com. Now, back to House Calls with Dr. Connie. We've had an incredible show today with our special guest, Suzanne Giesman, who is so many things. She is an accomplished woman who was a career naval officer, commander, but beyond that, she's gone beyond that. I mean, to show the resiliency she, she showed, demonstrated at 9-11, but to go on in her life experience to ultimately become a medium, which she, she does now. But it, she's more than a medium. She's a messenger of light and of hope. She's written so many books uh, about her messages from, derived from her, her, her life of channeling and helping so many countless people. There's a, uh, one of the ones I love is her messages of hope, of the metaphysical memoir of a most unexpected medium, which really gets your attention because she doesn't fit the stereotype of the woo-woo mediums and psychics that people always talk about. But she's somebody I totally believe in, absolutely. She's the real deal. She also has a wonderful uh, movie entitled Messages of Hope. And things that you should definitely see that are, are exploring that. But 
we go back to the topic again about how do you survive when times are tough? How do you how do you harden your spine without hardening huh. your heart? How do you become strong, brave, courageous without becoming scarred, angry, and cynical? So my prescription for resilience is this. You choose. You choose good over evil. You choose kindness over callous. You choose action over anxiety. When I remember 9-11 and what happened that changed our country and our individual lives, I realize and accept that evil does exist in this world that we see, but so does good, and I choose to fight evil with good. And just like many Americans did in their aftermath of 9-11, they gathered together, they comforted each other, they showed their appreciation of our heroes among the firefighters and the military responders and rescuers. And in the past week, we've had two horrific hurricanes, we've had the earthquake in Mexico. Um, with these things, we've had loss of life, evacuation of millions of people, disruption of lives and property, major flooding in our country. Fortunately, by alerting people to evacuate and prepare for disaster, a lot of a lot more lives have been saved, uh, potentially have lost, could have lost more people. And what I've been really touched was with the outpouring of people in states like Texas and have been really reaching out to help uh, each other, uh, definitely contacting our friends in Florida to make sure they were safe. But looking at Texas coming through with the Cajun Navy coming to the rescue, looked like a scene from Dunkirk where the, they came out to help each other on their boats and, and to help rescue people. Uh, Suzanne shared with us in the, in the last segment ways that she has been able to become resilient and to cope with difficult times and definitely to put things in perspective knowing that there is an afterlife, that our, that our loved ones don't ever go away, that they're there and that we never go away in that sense. Our human body does, but our soul lives on. There are other ways definitely we can stay resilient, and I always believe in this. I call it my Semper Gumby, which is stay flexible. Always a constant, you know, is dying to be flex flexible. You know, the one constant we have life in life is change. Everything changes. But if you stay flexible, you can move and be, be willing to take on what comes at you. Learn, realize lessons learned when something happens. What did I learn from that? Am I going to repeat that again? What have I you know, what's the benefit of that? What am I going to learn? Don't blame anybody. Don't be a victim. What am I going to do to avoid it next time? I always believe in taking action, even if it means just to comfort somebody, talk about it, solve the problem. Someone once said, in each and every one of us, there's, there's genius. And what brings out genius is adversity. Support system is so important. When times are tough, you reach out to your loved ones. You call your friends. You know, misery loves company. Uh, when times are tough, I reach out to them. Releasing tension is important. You pray, you meditate, you express yourself. Higher power is your faith, your religion, your spirituality. You ask for God's guidance. You ask a higher power, what is this, what's going to happen? Help us if this is meant to be. And you take care of yourself, you know. Uh, you're, you're only as resilient as your personal health in terms of your nutrition, your quality of sleep, your mental state. You know, how am I? Am I fragile? Am I going to be able to get through this? What's your self-image? Believe in your own personal gifts. You've gotten through some really tough things in your life. You can get through this. You draw upon your history of getting through difficult times. Sense of humor is so important. Can you laugh about it? You know, worst comes to worst. Can we, is there something we can laugh about and share about this uh, in our human quality? And always in all of this is just try, just strive to be optimistic. How can we find the light at the end of the tunnel, even though you think it's a, it's a train that's coming out as, 
after us. How can you do that? You know, driving in today, I was thinking about resilience and personal tragedy, and everyone has that. And I think back, you know, in the last year, I've lost three family members. Um, in May of last year, my, uh, my uncle uh, was very depressed uh, in California, and he took a gun, and he didn't want to die alone. So he killed my aunt, and he killed himself, and uh, left behind three daughters and grandchildren. And uh, to be notified to turn on the TV and to look at the uh, yellow police tape around the home of your uncle is pretty frightening. Um, in his wake, he left behind three daughters who lost both parents in one night. The youngest of his three daughters uh, was found to have ovarian cancer. Three months later, uh, she visited me here and uh, she passed away in January at a very young age, left behind her husband uh, and, a, and a young son. And to see that, I, I was at her eulogy and I remember I, at, at her funeral mass uh, in January and I remember the priest saying, well, it was her time, God, God figured her job was done, and it was, I sort of felt cynical, gee, you know, her time was done, her job was done. I looked at my husband and said, it really says a lot for procrastination. Maybe she should have procrastinated more and not finished her job so much, she would have been here. But what can you say? But I think if you focus on the fact that our loved ones truly never go away, that you should be hopeful, that I always believe that you're here in this life for a reason. God doesn't make junk, God makes good things, and that, Part of what we do in this life is define our purpose. What am I meant to do in this life? What lives am I meant to touch? What's my message? To find that and to live a life that's true to that, I think, is so important. Um, Suzanne, are, do you have anything else you'd like to share with our, our audience today? Well, yes, Connie. Just listening to it reminds me of uh, about a year ago, I went for a mountain bike ride after teaching all weekend, and I was exhausted, and I just wanted a nice, mellow ride. And instead, it started out nice and flowy. It was fine. And then we started going over these rocks and these roots. And I was getting jostled around. And I started getting more and more irritable. So irritable that I was cursing under my breath and not feeling very spiritual. And all of a sudden, this booming voice from above said to me, it's a mountain bike trail, for God's sake. <laughs> <laughs> this is in my head, and I started laughing. Like you said, you've got to be humorous. But this was a, an incredible wake-up call to me that, you know, we can't expect life to be all smooth. Life is full of bumps and unexpected turns and twists and falls. And it's, that, it's all of those points in your prescription that you just shared with us that that give us the tools to deal with life's bumps. We as Americans think it's our right to happiness and it's clinging to the belief that we have to be happy that brings the suffering. When we realize that life is gonna throw all kinds of things at us, but as souls, we have the tools to deal with them, then we just kind of flow over the bumps. Absolutely. Everything we have in life. When a baby's born in this world, first thing it does after it takes its breath is it cries. It has pain. Life is about that. That's that we have we're always gonna have challenges. We're always gonna have difficulty. I think I, I kind of joke that the reason the baby's crying is because it looks around and it just came from being a pure soul and it says, what have I done? <laughs> or what have I chosen? <laughs> I chose to be here. But it's, it, it's how you solve it. It's how you look at your life. And I really think it's a choice you make. I choose to be positive. It may be 
difficult. It's the hardest thing I've ever done. But it's better than the alternative of being negative and being miserable. And and you're right. Nobody's entitled to be happy. There's nobody. I, yeah, but if, if I could share with you, I just I went through a period uh, last week that shocked my husband because I was on the phone with my mother and she was having a rough day mm -hmm. and I felt her energy and I spent the evening crying. Mm -hmm. Rare, rare, rare thing for me. And Ty was shocked and I said, I just need to feel this. I just need to be human tonight. And so as a spiritual teacher, people may think that I don't have those moments and they're rare, but I actually wanted to feel that mm -hmm. and to process that. And then I woke up the next morning and was totally back in the flow of things and and it felt good. Yeah. And I wasn't shoving that down. I wasn't right. ignoring the or human side of yeah. us. Yeah. So it's finding that balance and knowing you choose. Exactly what Absolutely. you said. Absolutely. We choose. You choose that and where you go. Andrew, you're listening in as our, our, our host as well. Any comments or thoughts of 9-11 and resiliency as a young 30-year-old and with life and what you're seeing around you? Wow. Well, yeah, I mean, so much to that. It's been amazing just hearing, you know, Suzanne's story and all of this. I, I definitely think one of the sort of mantras, I guess, of, of my life is, you know, without the bitter, the sweet ain't as sweet, you know. And so I think in, in the midst of, you know, some of those trying times, the challenges, I think uh, what I've seen is, you know, you can, you know, not only do you rise, you know, rise out of it, rise above it. And I think it helps to, to mold you and give you some more perspective. And I think sometimes in those hardest of moments, you meet other people, whether they're coming to help you or you're helping them. And I think that's just a really uh, neat way to, to, to live life. It, and as you said, I, I love the idea of the vision of, of flow through it and, and being peaceful and being yeah being okay with that. So it's just been yeah. an amazing conversation. And, and it's what you do with your challenges. Do you curl up in a ball on the couch for the rest of your life or do you become stronger because of it? My latest book that is just, uh, I just finished it, has to deal with four couples who have a child on the other side. And every one of us believes that we love more now having known deep grief and growing from it, but we're able to be joyful knowing that our kids are still with us, but it is those that growth that comes from the challenges that we need to acknowledge. Well, amen to that. But I want to thank you all for, for being here and listening in. Thank you, Suzanne, for a wonderful uh, visit with us, and then we look forward to seeing you uh, uh, on, on your shows and at the conference this week for the Afterlife Conference. And everybody listened, uh, if you could uh, go online and, and order her books. She's a great author. Uh, her movie, Messages of Hope, is incredible. Uh, be hopeful, be positive, and go in peace. Thank you so much for listening in. We'll talk to you next week. Take care. Thank you again for joining us this week for House Calls with Dr. Connie Mariano. We'll be back next Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Have a terrific week. Have a terrific week.